Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Series, do I say that every week? Am I always excited? If you're always excited, you're never excited, right? But this one, for real, for real, I'm excited about this. Uh, uh, We have been talking about this amongst the the staff for many, many months. Uh, We've been reading a book that I forgot to bring with me called Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro. And if you want to go a a little deeper, I just encourage you, you can order that book on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something. And it's going to be really, really helpful. Uh, But it's not mandatory. You don't have to get it. We're going to be spending nine weeks talking about emotionally healthy communities. So get excited. and, and what I'm really excited about is that I really believe that if we get this, if we really get how to press into uh, emotional health, we are going to see transformation in our own lives. We're going to see uh, transformation in our families, in our church, and in our community. I think it's that significant. And I don't want this to be uh, something that, uh, didn't we, we talked about something about emotions at the beginning of the year, right? I want this to really be formative for us as, as a community as we press into this. And one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about this is that I've learned over the, the years, I've been a follower of Jesus for 25 years, and there's been times in, in that 25 years that I've even been a passionate follower uh, of Jesus. Um, but as I run after, geez, that was a joke, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just cue, you, cue you when there's something I said that's funny. Um, and even as a passionate follower of Jesus, right, there was, uh, that didn't mean that I was healthy on the inside. Actually, despite my uh, outward uh, appearances and all of the churchy activities that I was doing, I was an absolute mess emotionally. I was very critical of myself, very insecure. Right? I, I felt going into any situation right, that, that I don't have what it takes. I, I remember uh, starting seminary six years ago and sitting in my, in my first class with all these smart people and, and they're introducing themselves and they're talking and then we're diving into systematic theology or Greek or some such thing. And I was like, I'm an imposter. I, I do not belong here. These people are smart. And if I open my mouth, they will all know. So I'll just sit in the back and stay quiet. All right? that emotional unhealth crept back up into my life. For much of my life, I have been obsessed with the approval of others, right? Which means that criticism is a terrible and scary thing. Scared of rejection, which means that I would avoid conflict like it was the plague. You would think avoiding conflict would make for a beautiful and wonderful marriage. It did not. <laughs> uh, but it is there now. It's beautiful and perfect. Why do I say things like that? I got to think through that. Uh, right? I, I couldn't say no. In my emotional unhealth, I was unable to say no. There was a season in, in our life where Amber and I were the uh, children's ministry leaders at New Day uh, at, at Nichols. And we 
just couldn't say no, so we just kept doing and serving. We also didn't like asking other people to help, and so we just ended up doing everything ourselves, and we just kept doing and doing and doing until we were about to burst. It was the one time I met with Cameron, and it was like, I'm leaving the church. <laughs> and he said, I don't think that's a very good idea. Why don't we just pull back a little bit? Right? We need to learn how to say no, but as emotionally unhealthy people, it can be very, very difficult. And in the same way, in the same vein, right, I never would speak my thoughts or my feelings, right? Just sit in the back, stay quiet. What I have probably isn't important. And even, in, in, and so that is swirling around inside me while at the same time I'm spending years listening to great sermons, right? Worshiping, leading worship, praying, attending small group, serving in the, the church and all this appropriate Christian stuff. But it wasn't until I learned how to kind of excavate what's going on in my spirit, in my heart, right? What's going on with my emotions that I was able to actually deal with some of that junk and to step into actually following Jesus, not using him to to cover up and hide from my own pain. But I was able to love and follow Jesus in a freedom that I didn't even realize was possible. I kept hoping that if I prayed enough or turned up at enough church services that God would just transform my heart and I would be healthy and happy and whole. But it didn't happen until I was willing to do the hard work. And that's the bad news of this series is it doesn't just happen. Sorry, we gotta, we'll get this out of the way. It doesn't just happen, right? It actually takes effort for us to go into our hearts and see what is happening and bring that to the Lord. Peter Scazzaro says this. He says, The degree to which we are able to give Jesus access to what is deeply beneath the surface in our lives is the degree which we will experience freedom in him. The degree to which we are able to give Jesus access to what is deeply beneath the surface in our lives is the degree to which we will experience freedom in him. I remember it was a, a few years ago, and I've been on this process of emotional health and pursuing, you know, dealing with the, the stuff in my heart. And I've told this story before, but it's, I think it's, a, it's appropriate here. Is I was walking into um, the, uh, the library up at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, and I was just, you know how sometimes you just kind of feel blue, kind of blah? And I was just kind of having a, a blah day, and I, 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 I touched the door, and I was just like, God, what, why am I feeling so blue? Why am I feeling just down? Like, nothing bad is happening, right? And... And I, and I was like, oh, I'm not, and so God, what's, and I just asked him, right, what's going on? God, what's going on? And he revealed as I'm walking towards the library, he's like, well, you're not just blue, just name your feelings. I'm like, oh, I'm sad. I'm, actually, I'm sad, God. Well, God, what, why, what am I sad about? I, everything seems to be going relatively okay. And so I just took a moment there. Luckily, libraries are quiet, right? And so I just kind of sat there and Asked Holy Spirit again, what, what's making me sad? And there were some situations with, with one of my kids that I was kind of wrestling with. And I was like, well, I don't know what's going on. And it's like, oh, deeper than the sadness, I'm actually scared. 
oh yeah, God, I'm scared. Well, why, why am I so scared? Why is it affecting me so bad? And as I sat there, I feel like it was Jesus said, that's because you don't trust me. And I knew that I'd gotten to the root of it. Yeah, I don't trust you, God. I'm, I'm scared that you're not going to take care of this situation. I'm scared I'm, I'm on my own and I've got to figure this out. But as I, as I recognized that issue, I brought it to the Lord and go, God, I am, I'm sorry, Lord, I choose to trust you. Will you help me in this place of not trusting you? And he met me there. And I have been walking that out, continually giving that to Jesus, recognizing, oh, I'm not trusting Jesus right now, and giving that back over, and just walking in greater and greater freedom in that area. It wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't like I identified, I don't, I'm not trusting God right now, and all of a sudden, bang, I was all better. Right? But I recognized it and did the work of walking that out with Jesus and with close friends. So one of the things about Christianity that we are probably all agree with, some of us, I've had some people kind of push back on this idea of emotional health as unimportant. So I want to kind of explain why I think it is so important, even, maybe even more than I just did there. We all would agree that spiritual maturity or spiritual health is vitally important for, for Christ, Christ followers. And we see this all through uh, the, the, new, the New Testament. We're just going to look at a few here this morning. Paul says to the church in Colossae, he says that he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Right? This is our goal. This is what Paul's goal for the early church was, was that everybody would step into full maturity in Christ. And he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. All right, so it's not something that we just do. It's not something that we just make happen, but it's something that we work in cahoots. In cahoots, is that a word? In cahoots with Jesus. And he brings maturity as we run after him. Paul says in Ephesians 11, we actually talked about this verse for like five weeks, somewhere last year, um, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. So Christ himself gave, well, here it is, the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Right? The fivefold ministry, the, the, the ministry of the church is so that each one of us can reach maturity in Christ, the fullness of Christ. One more in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward, where? To maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Right? And so these are all talking about maturity. There's this goal that we want to be spiritually mature. So what is spiritual maturity? The definition that I like to use is from Robert Mulholland. He says, it is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Right? 
And I, I would love, this is, I love this definition. I love teaching about this. It's a process, right? It's not something that happens overnight. And it's a, it's a process of being formed. We are not the ones doing the forming. We step into the process and Holy Spirit forms us. Forms us into what? Forms us into the image of Jesus Christ. Right? So we, every day, are more and more like Jesus as we're walking towards spiritual maturity. But it's not an end in itself just that we are more like Jesus. We take our Jesus-likeness out into the world. Right? This is what we are running after as Christ followers is spiritual maturity, becoming like Jesus for the sake of the world, for the sake of our family, for the sake of our church, for our community, and for our world. Right? This is what we are running after. As I was pre- preparing for this message, I came across this great little blog post by Carrie Newhoff, uh, who's a pastor and a blogger and a podcaster. Um, if in certain circles, he's a big deal. Um, and he had this uh, article that said, Five Signs of Spiritual Maturity That Actually Show You Lack It. And I thought this was kind of fun. Uh, and he said, the first one is pride in how much Bible you know. Right? And so if you are walking around prideful because of all your Bible drills that you did in, in youth group and you can quote you know, the entire book of Leviticus or, or whatever, right? and kind of pompous in that, right? it's not actually spiritual maturity. Right? Jesus didn't say, they will know you are my followers because of your Bible knowledge. Right? They will know that you are my followers because of your love. Right? So it's not, anyway, carrying on. Uh, number two, truth without grace. If you think you're spiritually mature, but you're living truth without grace. You know, I just probably don't have to go too deep into this. We did just spend a year talking about truth and, and grace, right? But if we are kind of just these jerks with our Bible thumpers, kind of smacking people around with the, with the word of God without the kindness and grace of Jesus, right? We're not actually spiritually mature. The opposite is also true. All grace without truth is spiritual immaturity, right? We want to follow Jesus who is full of both grace and truth. This is a good one. If we are harsh towards outsiders while cutting insiders slack, what he means by that is when we sit inside the church and we are attacking the culture, Right? because of their gross sin and how they have, have failed to measure up to the, the expectations of, of God's righteousness. And yet, inside the church, we're not paying any attention to our own gossip or our, our own dissension, right? all the, the sin that we just kind of overlook inside the church. And fifth, he says, if you're telling people you're mature, that is a sure sign that you're not. That's a, that's a good one. Even, even Paul right, said, you know, I have not achieved, I've not attained yet, right? but uh, I keep pressing forward to the, the goal, to the prize that Christ has called me to. Right? So those are signs, actually, of spiritual immaturity. And in Scazzaro's book, he's a pastor, and he was talking about how he's looking around and he's not seeing spiritual maturity in his church. And he was like, what are we going to do? We're seeing people come to Jesus, but they're still messed up, right? They're not living the full, abundant life that is promised in, in Jesus. And so he did a, a bunch of different things that feel very spiritual that we 
church leaders just fall back on when we don't know what else to do. We, he said that for a season he increased the Bible study, right? We got to need people doing more Bible studies. If they do that, then certainly they're going to get more mature. And that didn't work. So he's like, well, maybe if we did more community groups, right? If we do more longer, more intense community groups, building relationships, then people will just become more mature. They'll grow into the fullness of abundant life that Jesus has for us. That didn't work. So he's like, well, let's have more prayer meetings. It's probably prayer that we're lacking. Spiritual warfare after prayer didn't work. He's like, you know, there's obviously a power or a principality waging war uh, against us. So we need to, to get into some spiritual warfare. All right, that, didn't, that didn't work. People are still immature. Okay, what about more worship nights? We'll try that. Okay, how about serving? How about if we cre- increase the, the prophetic in our church? What if we teach more on the grace of God? And he goes on and on about all these things that his church tried. And I was like, you've, you've, I'm out. I don't have anything left, Pete. You better help me here. Right? And so then he follows that, that description with this. He says, the problem, however, is that inevitably you find, as I did, something is still missing. In fact, the spirituality of most current discipleship models often only adds an additional protective layer against people growing up emotionally. And we're not saying that those things are bad. Those things are all really, really good. But what we find is that them on their own, just doing more spiritual stuff, right, without dealing with our hearts, doesn't get us healthy. He continues, because people are having real and helpful spiritual experiences in certain areas of their lives, such as worship, prayer, Bible studies, and fellowship, they mistakenly believe they are doing fine. Even if their relational life and interior world is not in order. This apparent progress then provides a spiritual reason for not doing the hard work of maturing. We go through the, the spiritual motions assuming all right, this is going to make a difference, right? This is going to change. Jesus is going to magically change my heart. But it doesn't always work. You know, like I said at the beginning, you know, I've tried that. I've tried doing Christianity like that and it just felt empty. I've talked to, to many people in my office who are like ready to give up on Christianity because they're like, it doesn't work. I've tried praying. I'm faithful to turn up to church. I serve in children's ministry, which is the, the highest level of, of spiritual maturity that you can attain. Right? I'm doing all the, the, the right stuff, but I still feel scared and empty and hopeless and insecure and frightened. And as a pastor, my gracious response inside often is like, well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but I would never say that out loud. <laughs> I would never say that out loud. But there's this thing that's like we're actually doing it wrong. Right? We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to go to the depth of our heart to deal with our pain so that we can find real change. And so the big takeaway for us today 
and we'll be coming back to this throughout the, the nine weeks, is that emotional health cannot be separated from spiritual health. And so all of the, the, the passages where Paul or one of the New Testament authors is talking about maturity, they don't actually say spiritual maturity. They just said, we're running towards maturity. And so that means intellectual maturity, emotional maturity, physical maturity, and emotional maturity, right? We want to be whole, healed, fully functioning followers of Jesus. And when one area is broken, right, then we're not going to live the fullness that is available for us. Emotional health cannot be separated from spiritual health. And the thing is that in the church, we can, we can kind of hide what's going on inside. Cameron talked about this last week. We can hide what's going on in our minds or in our hearts because we can look good on the outside, right? And we actually applaud people for looking good on the outside without getting to know what's going on in their heart. So what might this look like in the church? I've got 10 examples. A board member who never says I was wrong or sorry. That's actually a sign of emotional unhealth if you can't apologize, if you cannot say you were wrong. Maybe it's the children's church leader who constantly criticizes others. These are, this is not, this is not you know, examples that I've taken from New Day. <laughs> These are from Pete, our friend Pete Scazzaro. Okay? The children's church leader who's constantly criticizing, emotionally unhealthy. The high control small group leader who cannot tolerate different points of view. The middle-aged father of two toddlers who is secretly addicted to pornography. Emotionally unhealthy. The 35-year-old husband busily serving in the church, unaware of his wife's loneliness at home. And this is a dangerous one, friends. Uh, and not especially, but I've done a lot of study uh, of pastors and, and church leaders where this is the cause of their marital breakdown. They ha- are serving, maybe it's not uh, an actual physical mistress, but the church becomes the mistress, taking all of the time, taking all of the energy, and we can feel like I'm doing something good, right? I'm serving the church while we're neglecting our first responsibility, our spouse, our family. Emotional unhealth can look like the worship leader who interprets any suggestion as a personal attack and a personal rejection. Now, that would never happen here, but I've heard that some musicians can be sensitive. Uh, Number seven, the Sunday school teacher struggling with feelings of bitterness and resentment toward the pastor, but afraid to say anything. The exemplary servant who tirelessly volunteers in four different ministries, but rarely takes any personal time to take care of himself or herself. Right? We need downtime. We need to rest. Two intercessors who use prayer meetings to escape from the painful reality of their marriage. The people in your small group who are never transparent about their struggles or difficulties. Right? Oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. How are you? Let's just talk about something else. 
How about the big game? I don't think I can say Super Bowl. I just have to say big game. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so these people look spiritually mature on the outside, right? But they're unable to process the anger. They're unable to process their own sadness and hurt. And so they grumble and they keep people at a distance. They use what Cameron talked about last week, these beeps. You guys remember that? Behaviors, events, experiences, people, and substances that we use to find relief from relational pain, from insecurity, or fear. Right? We love our beeps. And there's a, there's a, a sheet out there, like a, what do you call that? A survey kind of a thing that can help you identify what you are using to keep yourself secure and safe in out of relationships. And so emotional health cannot be separated from spiritual health. We need them both if we are going to thrive. Look at John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we ask, is this spiritual health? Or is this emotional health? They're swirled up together. Right? We cannot love well without emotional health, no matter how much we try to spiritualize it. Right? We need to be whole, healed, and mature followers of Jesus. But if you say you're mature, then you're not. It's a very difficult cycle, right? Okay, not good. Not doing well today. I'm going to do some better jokes later. <laughs> okay. Okay. Galatians 5.22. Let's see, is this emotional or is this spiritual? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right? Are these spiritual things or are these emotional things? Well, again, it's both of them, right? The, we, these are fruit of the Spirit. As we draw near to Jesus, we are filled with these things, but every one of these fruit are communal. Each one is relational, right? And with emotional unhealth, we actually stay away and keep people at a distance, either physically or emotionally or you know, in our brains, we just keep people at a distance, right? And we're not able to step into these spiritual gifts. So they are intertwined. We cannot pursue one without the other. So how are we going to define emotional health? Uh, again, Peter Scazzaro, you'll be hearing a lot of him from, um, over the next few weeks. Our ability to be self-aware and to love well. Our ability to be self-aware and to love well. That is what we're running after. And we've talked a lot about what emotional unhealth looks like. And actually, this morning, I had another slide here that was the, act, the opposite of this, and so I switched it. Let's, let's, let's say something positive today, I thought would be a good thing to do. So emotionally health is characterized by healthy, life-giving, close relationships with others. Right? That's what we want. We want to have close relationships with people. Emotionally health, emotional health 
is characterized by closeness to Jesus, right? We want to love God and we want to love others. What we talked about in uh, Joy Wins throughout January was right, that joy actually springs up and comes from being in good relationships with other people and being in good relationships with God. And so our emotional health is actually going to help us to fulfill what we've been talking about throughout January. Uh, emotional health is characterized by joy and peace in the midst of challenge and difficulty. Right? This doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to us because they do. We live in a fallen, corrupt, and broken world. But in the midst of that, we can find peace and, and, uh, and, and joy. Uh, fourth, Emotional health is characterized by a strong sense of identity and liking who you are. Believe it or not, my friends, you can like who you are. You are great. God made you on purpose. Is there some stuff that could be improved? Yes, but guess what? He does that. That's what he does. He takes us broken and fallen you know, in our sin and brings us into his presence and actually makes us new creatures. We're something new. We are beautiful. We are perfect. We, well, we're not perfect. We are loved, right? And we can learn to step into living out of that new creation and not living in our old man. Uh, emotional health is characterized by healthy emotional boundaries. You can say yes, and you can say no. And it's okay. And you're not worried about like, oh, is Mark mad because I said no? Nope, I am not. Emotional health is characterized by not needing a spiritual work or secular achievement to numb and cover pain. All right? So you can rest. You can just be comfortable sitting and, and playing a video game. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and emotional health is characterized by feeling full and content, right? The opposite of feeling empty and scarce, right? But feeling full and content, right? This is what we are running after. This is what we want to experience. And I hopefully this just kind of uh, primes the pump a little bit. It's like, yeah, I really want to run after this. I want to experience this. I want the fullness of emotional health. And so we're going to be looking at seven principles, and each week we'll be talking about one of these principles, but I just wanted to give a quick overview so you guys know where we're headed. The first principle is uh, to look beneath the surface. In order to have a healthy, growing relationship with Jesus, we must be aware of what's going on in our hearts. We need to be able to name our feelings. Number two, we break the power of the past. And so this means that uh, emotionally healthy people understand how their past affects their present, or their present ability to love Christ and to love others. Right? We all have a past that we bring with us into our, uh, our current relationships. Principle three, learning to live in brokenness and vulnerability. This is an important one. We grow in emotional and spiritual health when we recognize that we are broken and vulnerable instead of posturing ourselves in pride and defensiveness. Principle four, receiving the gift of limits. 
We're going to look at how emotionally healthy people do not live in comparison to others. That actually is unhealthy and unhelpful. But we are content with that which the Lord has given us. We learn to be content. We're also in, in that week, we will be talking about how do we set healthy boundaries in our relationships. Uh, principle five, embrace grieving and loss. Grieving our losses is the only way, is the only pathway to becoming compassionate like Jesus. Right? So we don't ignore or kind of uh, cover up or hide our grieving and our losses if that's not a very spiritual thing to do, right? but we actually engage with it right? because it brings compassion. Uh, principle six, we make incarnation our model for loving well. This means that emotionally healthy people uh, love other people by listening, learning, and meeting them where they are. Right? And principle seven is slow down to lead with integrity. Emotionally healthy spirituality requires that we learn to slow down and be and not be distracted by the hurry and busyness of life. This is a big deal in our culture in our in our in our country like busyness and non-stop information is just a constant right and i was talking to my my son the the other day and he's grown up with this technology right? i'm not sure he even knows what being bored is like my whole my whole childhood was boring just sitting in in, in dirt as my dad uh, did a bulldozer to help somebody build a build a house. That was my whole life. Sorry, it wasn't really. My wife was great. But there was moments of boredom, right? If my, my kids don't know what boredom is because as soon as something doesn't grab their attention, right? Zink, they're there. They've got something to entertain them, right? That's keeping them from interacting with, with, with other people. There's, anyway, so we need to learn how can we slow down? How can we step into silence and solitude? How do we step into Sabbath keeping so that we can live with integrity and so that we can run this race for the long haul, right? We want to do this until Jesus comes back or he calls us home. So in the... So that's where we're heading next week. We're going to look at each of these in a little bit more detail. And we're also going to look at how Jesus lived an emotionally healthy life. And as we follow him, we will do the things that he did. Uh, like Andy said, the week of the 16th, we'll, we're going to be starting community groups. They'll be meeting for six weeks. And we're going to be covering a, a bunch of this. So I encourage you guys to... to, uh, to to sign up. We're going to have information next Sunday about when and, and where those groups are meeting, but we would love every uh, regular attender of New Day to, to get plugged in, to build that relationship, to, be, to have these conversations, because we're going to step into emotional health much better as we are doing it in, in community, right? We can't do it as Lone Rangers. Uh, so that's where we're, we're going. Uh, and this was like a it's a very teachy thing, but I, before we dismiss, I just want to take a moment just to turn our uh, attention to Jesus, right? And maybe as we've been talking, there is something in this kind of talk of emotional unhealth that you're like, oh, that's me. You know, I, I, I'm insecure, right? Or I can never say no, or I don't have healthy boundaries in, in, in my life. Maybe, uh, maybe something uh, jumped out at you, um, or, or maybe not. We're just going to take a second 
just to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal what, uh, if there's anything emotionally unhealthy in us that he wants to, to speak into this morning, okay? So bear with me, and let's just turn our attention to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to emotional and spiritual maturity. Lord, but we recognize that we are still on the path of of sanctification, even as, as believers, as new creations, Lord. We still have work to do. And Lord, I ask right now that you would show us Lord, if there is something, Lord, that you want to touch and bring healing to this morning. Lord, as we lift this, this thing up to you, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you that we are not stuck in patterns of, of, of living or ways of thinking, Lord, that have just become normal or natural. But Lord, we want all of our thinking, all of our behavior to be in alignment with your truth. Lord, we want to be emotionally healthy so that we can love you better and love our neighbor better. And so, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you for your shed blood on the cross that brings restoration and wholeness. Lord, I thank you that each one of us, as believers in you, are new creations. And just like Andy said this morning, you love us and accept us just the way we are. We don't have to fix ourselves or do something to to be brought into your presence to be loved and accepted by you. Lord, we also thank you that you are not content to leave us in places that are broken. And so we ask, Lord, that you would transform us, that you would help us to step into maturity. Lord, bless this series and help our community groups and our conversations and our discipleship to be pleasing to you and to do transformative work through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.